I'm pumped to be back with you. Uh, I've been gone the last three weeks. I've preached at Mercy Road Northwest downtown and then Echo Church, a Multiply Indiana church plant. And I just want to tell you, the gospel is on the move in our city, man. And I cannot wait to see 10 years from now, we're coming up on 10 years of the existence of our church, 10 years from now, the wake of impact that the Lord will have had. And I think what we're going to talk about this morning is the DNA that must be prevalent in order to see the expansion of God's kingdom in our lifetime to happen. That said, I'm going to invite you to power on your Bibles or turn in the one in the book rack to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, as we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Why Not Them? Now, don't miss next week. Rashad's going to be here. He's going to look at Acts 13. It's a short two-week teaching series leading up to our 10-year birthday celebration. I'm going to get into all that. But what I want to tell you uh, this morning, uh, if you are new here and you felt uncomfortable coming into a church building, we started this church for you. We say it every week that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us. And you're going to get to hear really the DNA of our church this morning. So for those that were here in August, we did this four-week teaching series about the underground movement of Jesus, going over our four movement maker statements in the lobby. And the fourth one, if you remember at the end of August, was to see a million people come to know Jesus and be discipled in the state of Indiana before we die. And we've even set the date of the year 2050. And that, that vision has been our vision since before we launched the church. And it's a silly vision because there's less than 7 million people in the entire state. But it requires us to think beyond how much we could grow a church. Our goal isn't to grow Mercy Road Church. Our goal is to reach people who are far from God, disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. We want to be known more for our sending capacity than our seating capacity. And I believe what we read about in Acts chapter 11 is still possible today. It is really a turning point for a lot of the, the New Testament and for the early church and its expansion all over the Roman Empire. If you're not familiar with the teachings of the book of Acts, I want to summarize very quickly. Acts is a part of a two-part book called Luke-Acts. The Gospel of Luke, it's written by the same author, Luke. He was a first century physician that traveled with Paul around the Roman Empire for his missionary journeys. And he writes the Gospel of Luke about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then the book of Acts is about how the early church got started. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit, the counselor, is given to the early church. And Acts chapter 2 is their meeting and they're praying on the festival of weeks, 50 days after the Passover when Jesus was slain. And then in Acts chapter 3, the gospel begins to expand rapidly. Peter preaches to thousands of people and 3,000 people come to know the Lord in one day, hearing the gospel spread in their native language, even though he didn't realize he was speaking it. Because when the power, the dunamis of Christ is with us, anything is possible. And then as the gospel begins to spread, eventually in Acts chapter 6, they start seeing some real persecution. There's this guy named Stephen. He's one of the early leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. He was one of the first seven deacons in the church. And he is stoned to death for his faith. And there's this man who watches it all in approval. His name was Saul. He was a Pharisee that oversaw the killing of Stephen. In Acts chapter 9, three chapters later, he's going to Damascus with letters to imprison Christians in Damascus for their faith. 
He's literally a religious terrorist. He has an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus and has his life dramatically changed. It's what we got the name Mercy Road from was Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus. So if God could do that in Saul's story and turn him into Paul, who would go on to spread the gospel all over the Roman empire and, and write at least 40% of the New Testament, what could he do in your life? And in the lives of people in our communities who are far from God. But in Acts chapter 11, this super dramatic thing occurs. Paul had been a Jewish man, but the gospel is going to come. The good news of Jesus Christ, what the gospel is, is going to come to the Gentile people. If you're like, dude, what's a Gentile? It's anybody who wasn't Jewish. They'll refer to him in the New Testament sometimes as Greeks, but what they mean is these are not Jewish people. And that, that means that they are unclean. They are pagans. They're the type of people you don't hang out with. Jesus, we know, invited people who were far from him to eat dinner with him. And now the Christians are going to begin to eat dinner with the Gentiles. And that brings us to verse one. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on now. It says this, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So they start hearing the, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the godless people, the pagans are receiving God's word. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Now, the way that you always knew you were part of God's family, part of the Jewish community, was as a male, you were circumcised on the eighth day after birth. And so to eat meals with people who weren't Jewish, who were unclean and were un not righteous, you did not do. So they criticized Peter, a leader of the early church, verse 3, and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with him. And the very thing the self-righteous Christians of that day thought would prevent and impede the gospel from spreading is the very thing that will lead to billions of people today at least claiming faith in Jesus Christ. As the gospel breaks out in the midst of persecution all over the Roman Empire, it was a turning point in the New Testament. Everything is about to change after this. And this little group in Jerusalem that went to 3,000 will eventually set up headquarters, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch, this place that Acts chapter 11 is about, where the Gentile believers are. And it's there in Acts 13. Next week, we'll see that they raise up and send out the first church planters and that the gospel gets spread all over the Roman Empire, dozens of churches getting started, and it all happens right here, this cataclysmic moment when God in his authority with one word that we just sang about changes the course of human history. And I want to talk about its implications for today. See, I know what it's like to see kind of a turning point in the life of a church. When we started Mercy Road Church, we met at Clay Middle School in Carmel for uh, about a year and a half. And then we leased this tiny building in, off of College Avenue in the uh, Carmel School District, but an area known as home place. Great little community, and we began to meet there as a very small church that was a year and a half old. And at our second birthday celebration, many of you have heard me share this story, so I'm going to do it briefly. We had a turning point in the life of our church. At that point, we had seen a little bit of growth, but we hadn't seen a lot of radical life change yet, a little bit. And in that next six months, we began to reach people in the community, and we saw 12 people be baptized that uh, Sunday morning at our second birthday celebration, which was the most people we had ever baptized at once, and they were baptized in a horse trough in the lobby of the little bu building that we were meeting in. 
And at the end of baptizing 12 people, uh, Eric Maitland, our worship leader, was up here. He was the main guy back in the day. He gets up and he starts singing Amazing Grace on an acoustic guitar. And in the middle of the song, all of a sudden the building shook. And I almost, I literally almost fell over into the, the horse trough. I would have been number 13 that day. And luckily I caught myself and I got up and you've heard me share this. I'm going to make it brief, but basically I was like, that must be an earthquake. I looked online. It wasn't an earthquake. Must be something wrong with the building. The engineer who owned the building said, there's nothing wrong with the building. They checked it all week long. And to this day, I know, I don't think I would believe it if I wasn't there, but to this day, the only thing that I can say that made sense of it was that the spirit of God was so powerfully there. It literally shook the building. And it's, you know, you read this in the New Testament, but we just, we don't think something like that would happen. And so over the years, I've looked for explanations and I share that because it became a turning point in the life of our church. From then on, we began to see people who were far from God, like we had said, begin to have radical life change. And the church grew rapidly over that next year. And as a three-year-old church, we bought this building and renovated it when we shouldn't have been able to. And there's a whole story I'll tell later about that. And we come over here and the rest has been history. And now there have been 21, soon to be 22 churches planted through Multiply Indiana. We're doing on March 20th, we hope is the date to do the next March for a Million. Last year we had 72 churches come out. We're hoping to break 100 this year and pack out the circle in downtown Indianapolis. We're still working on all the details, but like we're gonna pray that God would actually really reach a million people for Christ. But if we don't have the heart of Acts chapter 11 to go to the Gentiles, it will never happen. And I'm using the analogy today of the Jewish people being the people of God, the church, Christians, and the Gentiles being those who are not. And that as followers of Jesus, in light of this, we need to ask ourselves some questions about the way that we're living as missionaries or not living as missionaries in our culture. That's at the heart of what I want to discuss this morning. So if you look down to verse 15 now, he takes it a bit farther of Acts chapter 11. As it began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as had they had come on us in the beginning. That the Holy Spirit is also given to the Gentiles just like it was to the early believers. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? I'm gonna address that in just a moment. But when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. If God has brought repentance that leads to life, salvation if every human being is created in the image of God, but has a choice of whether to turn to him, receive the free gift of salvation of Jesus crucified, resurrected from the grave, to repent of our sin and wrongdoing, if we have the choice of whether to do that, our mission, our goal is twofold, to help those in need and proclaim the coming kingdom of God that we might see more people saved in our lifetime. And if you've never joined with God in that mission, I'm telling you, you're missing out on the greatest journey of your life. And so my question I wanna ask each of us is why not them? the Gentiles in our culture today, the people in your life that you know would never become a follower of Jesus. Why not them? You know them. They vote different than you. They look at life differently than you. They believe different things philosophically than you do. Do you believe that God could reach them? And I know as Christians, the answer is yes, but do we really believe it? That's what I want to discuss. Will you pray with me? God, I, I thank you for every person here in our culture today where people don't do this. 
gather to worship you, hear your word, to study it, to allow it to change our life, that you're the first authority in our life, not our own pre-established belief system. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that anything that is not lined up with you and your word, that we would conform to it, that we would surrender to it. And whatever already is, God, that we would hold on, on to that and not allow it to be taken from us. In a culture where it can be increasingly difficult to live as a Christian, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, that we would have a turning point in the life of this church this morning, that you would speak to us right where we're at, God. There are people in this room. This was a last-ditch effort to come to a church this morning. And I pray, God, we need to hear from you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe that God is up to something big in our culture today. But before I get into that, uh, anybody watch college football yesterday? Come on now. Uh, are the Ohio State fans in mourning today? Is that what's happening? We got, we got a bit, I got to give it up for, you know, Brad that's been running sound all morning. Uh, it's a big Michigan fan. Not only did they win yesterday, Ohio State lost. So finally, it was due. Four decades coming. They finally had a good weekend. But, you know, I wasn't watching any of those games because I was watching the Lord's team, um, <laughs> the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And it's been a little rough the first two games, admittedly, but we broke through. But there was this moment in the second half of the game where I became very frustrated because there was a, a, our, our safety who is a, a predicted to be a top five pick in the NFL draft had a clear, a clear interception about to come. And he went to get it, and the referee got in his way. What is with referees? Am I right? Come on now. And like, he just ruined our. It was a clear interception. And then, and then Drew Brees, who uh, we all love, but you know, used to play for a team up in West Lafayette, the trains. You know who I'm talking about. And Notre Dame's gonna play him next week. I know. I'm not gonna say anything because this year we don't know what's gonna happen, but. Probably going to be a good game, but he was talking about how they, before they changed the rules in the NFL, people used to plan on using the referee almost as a screen or a pick when they were running their routes. And I thought about how they're trying to advance the ball down the field and how the mission of Jesus is alive and, and well today and how we're seeing the gospel expand and church plants happen and new Christians. And we baptized more people last year than any year in the history of our church and we couldn't meet in the building for a portion of time. And there was a global pandemic going on. So there is nothing that will step in the way of the mission of God except I was thinking about that pass and they're trying to advance on the field and how the referee got in the way. And I, I wondered how many times we as human beings get in the way of what God's trying to do. Non-Christians, yes, but even Christians. Where the enemy knows he's not going to steal your salvation from you, but he is going to trick you into thinking that the mission of God is not going to happen today. That just happens 2,000 years ago. Don't waste your time, your talents, your treasures. Don't make sacrifices. Don't do this. Don't do... And eventually, we actually get in the way of what the Lord is trying to do. I know this can happen to me in my own life, so I know it can happen to each of us here this morning. And I want to tell you that anything is possible if we allow the Lord to work, that God created every human being in the image of God, but we have a choice of whether or not to be obedient and faithful to what he's asking us to do. And the enemy sometimes tricks us into thinking that it's going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable. If you start following the Lord, you're not going to have as much fun. The parties won't be as cool. Your personal life won't be as uh, free as it once was. 
You're going to have to start doing things that you don't want to do. You can't be selfish about your money anymore. You can't be selfish about your time anymore. And it's like all these, and the enemy wants to tell you, just don't do it. I want to, here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you follow Jesus and live in as a missionary today, you're going to sacrifice all kinds of time and talents and treasures and all that stuff. And there are going to be things that are going to be harder, not easier sometimes. And sometimes you'll have to act differently at a party or live out your personal life differently than a non-Christian will. But you will always, always, always see the benefit of serving the Lord in your life. You will see the joy that you can't find in any other facet of life. And this is kind of, I didn't even mean to share this this morning, but Eric reminded me literally right before the first service that uh, I have so many memories from the last 10 years as we sacrificed together of how fun it's been with many of you, many followers of Jesus who have sacrificed everything in their life and how much fun and, and the, the close partnership in the gospel we've developed because and on Friday, I was literally, the downtown church uh, wrote this song, Live Boldly, Love Deeply. You guys seen the cool t-shirts we got? I know they keep selling out of them. They're trying to restock them. But I thought to myself, I was singing this song, uh, Live Boldly, Love Deeply. And for some reason, it was just my wife and I in the kitchen and I changed the lyrics on a whim. And this is really dumb and really dumb, but I changed it to live coldly, love deeply. And Lisa was like, why did you say that? I was like, I don't know. But then the Lord gave me a picture and I was like, well, you know, Megan made some really cool t-shirts. I want to make my own t-shirts. And so I was like, I'm going to create a rival t-shirt. So I text Megan Mellinger, creative director on the team. And I told her this picture of Eric Maitland in a Jeep with the polar bear that I had in my mind about live coldly, love Jeeply. And she created this for me. So <laughs> live coldly, love Jeeply. So <laughs> this is the first time you see it this morning, but the, is the polar bear waving? I've been trying to figure that out. But I like how she actually got you playing the guitar and you're wearing a hat with a t-shirt because it's cold out. <laughs> and that might be the dumbest thing I've ever come up with. But I want a t-shirt, baby. Anybody want that t-shirt? Yes, the seven of us, we will have that made. But I was thinking about, I sent this picture to Eric on Friday about how fun it is to serve the Lord together. And after 10 plus years, the friendships that develop and the enemy wants to tell you it's not fun, you're not, it's going to ruin your life. But there is, it may not always be a financial blessing or the bless the life that you dreamed of and your selfish desires, but he will bless you in your life in the way you will never have if you don't live for him. And I believe that's what we see in Acts chapter 11 the mission and the expansion of the gospel and the kingdom of God in their lifetime and also the joy that comes with it. So here's three questions I believe every follower of Jesus needs to ask themselves. And the first one is this, in light of Acts chapter 11, who, who are we to stand in God's way? If we sometimes get in the way of what the Lord is doing because of our unwillingness to be faithful and obedient to go to the Gentiles in our community, who are we to stand in God's way? That's what they're wrestling with here, verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Even the Gentiles were given the right to repentance and salvation. And I was thinking about this, how God is going to do what he wants to do. It is he has authority. One word from him and everything changes. If the speed limit is 55 and God decides it's 75, guess what? We got a new speed limit. Because we can't understand the ways of God. And so... In this case, I was thinking about what's going on in our culture. The last two years have been very difficult for all of us. And I think rightfully so, many Christians have turned to Revelation and other passages that talk about the return of Christ in the end of days. And I believe that there are signs in our time, and there has been for years, 
of the return of Christ that we can see throughout scripture. And he tells us that these signs are provided for us to let us know and warn us that the return of Christ is going to come and the end of times will occur. And we don't know if that will be a year or 10 years or a hundred years or a thousand years. It's not for us to know. He is God, we are not. But here's where we get distracted as Christians. If, if, if we can get in the way sometimes of what he wants to do, why in scripture does he tell us about the return of Christ and of end times? Is it so that we could prevent it? Is it so that we could protect ourselves and have self-preservation? Is it so that we elect the correct officials? Can we get real? Why does he give us the signs? So that we will be spiritually ready for the return of Christ and we will do everything to live on mission to prepare other people for it. He does it to inspire us to live on mission because one day Jesus will turn, return and put the world right and there will be no more tears and shame, no more guilt. The old order of things will pass. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more tears or crying anymore. But this side of heaven, we're like in the New Testament times, are going to see moments of persecution. And I see sometimes as Christians today, we get so caught up in protecting and look, I believe we should live biblically. I believe I should raise my children up in the ways of the Lord and teach them how to live. I, I believe that what we teach in our school systems matter. And I believe what we believe theologically matters. But that is not led to let us get distracted of what the mission of Jesus is. That both sides are bad. Protectionism and fear of people who aren't Christian. And at the same time, giving into the culture and living as everyone else, both of those are contrary to what the gospel commands us to do. To go, therefore, to all nations and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, both the Jews and the Gentiles, both the godly and the churched and the unchurched and the pagan. Was that too much? I, I, just, I just want to tell you that, man, I think sometimes as Christians we get distracted today if we are called to go to the pagans, the Gentiles. Who are the pagans today? I mean, the Gentiles, the people who aren't of God's family. Maybe the people who look different or vote different or, or maybe they're people who have done bad things or maybe they're criminals. And we could list the really heinous things, the murderers and the molesters and the other things that we would all agree are really, really bad. And we would believe that we need to stand up for God's word and for truth. And there is a side of truth and justice that we are to follow followers of Jesus, but we are still called. They were called to go to the pagans and the Gentiles of their day. Those were the unclean people. Think about this for just a second, how revolutionary this would have been for the early Christians when God decides this. That the Gentiles were the unclean people who rebelled against God, followed other religions, participated in perverted sexual pleasures, and influenced the future generation to do the same. So I say that they can now receive the gospel and the Holy Spirit. This is radical stuff. What do you think God could do in our culture and our society today? How are we, how am I, how are you getting in the way of what God wants to do to reach the future generations, to reach those who are far from God. If we're going to achieve this great dream of reaching a million people for Christ, we're, imagine how many terrible, awful, sinful people we're going to have to love in the process. 
We're going to need to love our prison systems and the people who are making poor decisions and choices. The people that are even trying to teach our children things that we totally disagree with. Our job is to reach every person with the gospel until Jesus returns because the signs of the end times are real. So who are we to stand in God's way in Acts chapter 11? But also, do you believe a great number will be brought to the Lord? Like if we live this way, do you really believe a great number of people will be brought to the Lord? I'm convinced that we think, we know that it is in the Bible, but we don't really think the Lord would do that today. And that's why we live in this kind of protectionist fear, or we just uh, give in to the culture and live exactly like the culture lives. Look what happens here in verse 19. Now those who had been persecuted by the persecution, excuse me, scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews at this point. So, Quick note on this, Stephen had been one of those uh, deacons that had been killed. They had all witnessed it there in Jerusalem. So the persecution in their culture, I believe we're seeing more persecution for Christians in American culture today, but it pales in comparison to the type of persecution they were enduring. Their friend had been murdered. And yet God would use that heinous thing to scatter them around the eastern part of the Roman Empire which would lead to the expansion of the kingdom and what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord would use for good. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, the Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed. Because they went to the Gentiles and loved them right where they're at, the unclean people, that a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That when you love the Gentiles in our culture today, those not in the church, when we go to them, that a great number of people, if we do it in the way that Christ says it, will come to know the Lord. In fact, if you're like, oh, but yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What prevents the expansion of God's kingdom today, of reaching people, of changing the culture around us, it's not God and his authority. He's still the same as he was 2,000 years ago. The same Holy Spirit is given to us It's the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what should we do in response? Guilt people who aren't working hard enough? No, it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. We need to beg the Lord. We need to cry out to him. That's what we're doing a little bit on September 26th. Two weeks from today, there will be no services here, weather permitting. If it rains, we have our normal service times right here. We're taking three churches, combining to do one giant outdoor service, it opens up at 9.30. All the, the festivities open at 9.30. The worship service is at 10.30. There's gonna be free food afterwards. You heard that right. Free food afterwards. And then we're gonna hang out until the early afternoon. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does. But every church consultant would tell you that what we're doing is not a good idea. Because we're asking all of you to drive 45 minutes or some of you even farther up to Anderson, Indiana, to go to a place where you may or may not ever be a part of that church plant. And some of you may choose not to drive up there, may realize we're not having services here, may go find another church to participate in and take your time, talents, and treasures to another church. 
And I just think that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Our goal is not to grow Mercy Road Church. Our goal is there are millions of people in our state who don't know Christ, who were created in the image of God, just like you and me. And we are called with the Spirit of God to live as missionaries today to the hurting and the broken and the lost. And we're going to Anderson to get everybody outside of our comfort zone. We've done this since the beginning. Remember, we've loaded some of you up on buses. We thought you were coming to worship service. We got you on a bus instead. We've done that a couple of times and took you to see the next thing. Well, this is intentional because I'm not concerned about church attendance. We are concerned about the gospel reaching people who don't know Christ. And what is preventing that is consumerist Christians that don't allow the Lord to use our lives, that selfishly hide our time, talents, and treasures to utilize them for our own purposes and gains. And I'm not condemning anybody here. I'm saying the American church as a whole have lived in a way to grow a one local church rather than expand the kingdom. And that's part of the problem that we find ourselves in. Okay, I kind of got off there, but I, I want to get to this last question. What if your disciples, because it's kind of like, well, if I do that, it's going to ruin my life though. But what if your disciples that you reach will actually care for you one day? Look, look what happens here in these verses. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Saul or to Tarsus to, to, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch will become home base for the early church. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem uh, to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the Roman Empire. Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So the, the very church that the Lord uses to become the epicenter for the gospel to spread to the Gentiles, to the unclean people, will then be the ones to care for the church back in Jerusalem for the people of God who had been living there who were hurting due to the famine. That God has a way of bringing things full circle and that he's not looking to ruin or wreck your life. He wants to give you stories to tell in heaven. Do you know we tell people that if you give your life to Christ, you will have salvation. And that part is obviously totally true, but we fail to sometimes talk about what we do on uh, this earth matters and there will be representation in heaven one day. In the New Testament, it gives five different examples of the crowns that will represent different spiritual things in heaven. Now, I don't know that when you get to heaven, you're gonna be wearing a real gold crown. It's representation of spiritual sacrifice for the Lord. The five crowns are imper the imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, Righteousness, the crown of glory and the crown of life. The Greek word for crown, by the way, is Stephanos, where we get the word Stephen from, the martyr who lost his faith or lost his life for his faith. That the sacrifices that we make now for all of eternity, you're going to get to share that story with how you were used by God and there will be representation of that. It's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. My question is, are you going to have stories to tell by the way you're running the race currently? Because I believe every single believer gets the opportunity this side of heaven to do something you'll never be able to do when Jesus returns or after we die. And that's to tell another person about faith in Jesus Christ. To be used by God to help those in need and proclaim your kingdom, the kingdom of God. And you may be here and you're like, I feel more like a Gentile than like the person of God. We started this church for you. And I want to tell you that every human being was created in the image of God. And I don't care what your baggage or your past is, how much you think you could never be used or be one of those good Christians. God took Saul, made him Paul, changed the world. He can do it with you. And he can do it with each of us if we stopped with self-righteousness and started believing that God could minister and change our culture and bring a great number to know the Lord and began to look at our workplaces as the mission field. We began to look at our schools as the mission field of Christ. We began to look at our homes and our neighborhoods and say, God, use me in the way that I can. Rather than just living for self-preservation, I'm going to live differently than the rest of humanity. I'm going to live for eternity that one day will be represented how you use my life. And so I'm going to surrender everything over to your lordship. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You may already be a Christian, but you're going to begin to live differently. Or you may be here and you know you're one of those who has never received salvation in Christ. You've never professed your faith in Christ. You've never prayed and received his good news and never dedicated your life to his lordship. You've never repented of your sin. And I want to give you the opportunity because there is no better time than now to do it. Will you pray with me? God, I pray right now for every person in this room, God, all of us want to see you work in our lifetime. And some of us have never fully surrendered our lives to your Lordship. And then some of us, God, have known about you and have salvation, but have never been a missionary for you. So both people right now, if you would like to fully surrender every aspect of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect. I do this beautiful thing. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I want to do a 180 this morning and live a life as a missionary for you. And so on this day, September 12th, 2021, I commit my entire life to the Lordship of you, Jesus. My time, my talents, my treasures, use me to love people well, that they may see the only Jesus they may ever see, and that's in me. I give you my life this morning. I'm your vessel. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.